Hey, I'm Steve Folland. Welcome to another one. Let's find out what it's like being freelance for photographer Ruben Crabber. When you're young and you don't have a portfolio, you've got the chicken and a problem. You need to find good athletes, but good athletes don't want to shoot with people who don't have a portfolio that shows that they're good. You can't get started, it feels like. The payment date on your invoice is borderline irrelevant. Some places are going to pay in five days. Some people might be paying you in five months. And that's a really hard thing to manage. If you look at a large check as a large opportunity to go live large, you're going to find rock bottom really quickly and also just live with a lot of stress. So if you can sort of minimize your financial outflow and stay frugal in your mindset because you don't know how long you're going to go hungry and dry for. That seems to be, for me, the best way to just manage the roller coaster of finance in the freelance world. Yes, yeah, so there is Ruben, who is an action sports photographer and creative director. He is based in Canada, and his story coming up very soon indeed. I was really appreciative of Ruben chatting to me um, because he was trying to... Uh, we'd, we'd booked this chat in, but he was... You know when places really started locking down? Um, back in March, we recorded this as coronavirus was really kicking in. Things were going into lockdown, contracts were being cancelled, and he was trying to finish a particular project and took time out to chat to me about this. Yeah, anyway, that's when we spoke. So Ruben, thank you very much. His story coming up very soon indeed. Adding to all of those at beingfreelance.com or, of course, wherever you get your podcasts, um, please do hit subscribe so you don't miss them. And remember, it doesn't matter what they do for a living in particular. It's all about the being freelance. Uh, also, please do visit beingfreelance.com because we're adding loads of new stuff to the blog at the moment. Loads of more, loads more articles being written by other people other than just me. Uh, some really smart stuff on there and useful stuff on there. So please do take a look. Beingfreelance.com. Also, there's the videos and there is the community. Crucially, people from all around the world coming together. I really appreciate everybody coming together, supporting each other uh, at this time. It's been great. It's uh, beingfreelance.com. It's, it's been one of the, the more positive things for sure. And for that matter, I really appreciate people like Ruben for taking the time to talk to me uh, and record and share their experiences and their story when I know they're super busy and under pressure as well. So, if you enjoy this, as with the other episodes, please do reach out on Twitter or Instagram, wherever they hang out, and let the person know that you've heard it and that you enjoyed it. I know it means a lot to them. Right, let's crack on, shall we, and hear what it's like being freelance for photographer Ruben Crabber. Hey, Ruben! Hey, nice to be on. How about we get started hearing how you got started being freelance? I started dreaming about being a action sport photographer when I was in high school. And then at the end of high school, when everyone asks you, what do you do with your life? I didn't have a better answer than to just go give it a try. So I did one year of photography school. And then when I finished that, it was 2008 and the economy had crashed. So I got like a full-time job for a little bit. And then after that, moved into my van and started chasing athletes around British Columbia to try and build a portfolio and try to get started. And now I've called this a full-time job for just under a decade. So you went from college basically into being freelance? Uh, yeah, I did one extra semester of business education. And then after that, I still had a, a full-time job during that year for some of the time. But then, yeah, then I got into it. I didn't work at any other place as like a staff photographer or anything like that or in a 
apprentice. So when you were, say you were chasing athletes around, does that mean that you were doing it for free off your own back, trying to build up a portfolio? Or how did you build up that portfolio? Uh, yeah, I was trying to network with different athletes and try to find athletes sort of at the same step in their career as I was in mine. So when you're young and you don't have a portfolio, you've got the chicken and then a problem. You need to find good athletes, but good athletes don't want to shoot with people who don't have a portfolio that shows that they're good. So you can't get started, it feels like. So I was trying to shoot with other amateur skiers who were looking to try to get into uh, the world of professional skiing. And those people are interested in spending a bunch of time waiting on the side of the mountain for sunset. Well, a lot of people are really not interested in slowing down their ski days for the camera. So trying to find the right people was super useful for building a portfolio. Nice. And then mm-hmm. how did you build that into a business once you had that? Two different avenues, I guess. Uh, in skiing and in mountain biking, at least this was the way it was running 10 years ago, is that there was enough magazines that you could send just stock photos to. So you could shoot all winter and then take your library of photos when the snow melted and send it to an editor. And the editor would pick a couple. And that was a way to get published a couple times, get some credibility and get going. And then I knew that it was still going to be really hard to get the ball rolling, even with that avenue. So I still built a uh, architecture photography business on the side. And that was sort of just my bread and butter that I made it roll and I kept the two things separate. So my architecture clients never knew that I skied and my skiing clients never knew I did architecture, but that sort of greased the wheel enough for me to be able to actually pursue ski photography in the end without just going broke trying. Interesting. And how long would you say that it took to sort of build up so that you were confident to leave one behind rather than have them both? Well, it was more just that it naturally evolved. I didn't specifically drop architecture photography, but I just didn't concentrate on it this much. Let's say in my first year, my architecture was 70% of my business, second year 50, third year 40, maybe another year at 20 or so like that. And then it just sort of fell away because I wasn't trying to build new clients. And architecture photography is also evolving rapidly. I actually had sort of an old style by then. So I've got hired once or twice since, but that's sort of over. So how did you focus further on gaining those clients in the action sports? Was it just a case that over time people started to discover you and came to you? Like, How, how did you build that client base? It's a lot of networking. Um, most of that in the ski world just happens in bars or on chairlifts or just by still <laughs> shooting all, all of this stock library and then sending it off to the athlete sponsors because all of the photographs that you create hopefully have a... Um, inherent value that they're portraying someone who's actually sponsored so then when you send it to that sponsor then they actually want to buy this photo of their celebrity skier then i also still concentrate on a couple other different methods of promotion which were some photography competitions slideshows in photography at that time were actually one of the biggest coolest things so i was trying to get into some of these slideshow competitions in whistler and in revelstoke to put my work on the screen in front of a thousand people at a time or so. And if you get to that opportunity where you can hold your audience captive for five minutes, then you can really show them a whole bunch of what you're about rather than on Instagram where you're in and out of someone's brain within like two seconds and it's really hard to make an impression. 
Yeah. How did you, I mean, you say, you know, you send it to a sponsor, for example, they might pay for it. How did you know what you were doing business-wise, pricing-wise? Um, when I started photography, there happened to be a very cool photography forum started up by some of the bigger action sport photographers. They were noticing a bunch of amateurs coming in and a lot of them being pretty ignorant and not really knowing much about the rates. So they started this forum to try to help build skills, but also really to be also securing pricing and making sure that people actually communicated about it. So in action sport photography, and I still say that I experience this now, is that things are really open that I can call up my competitors who are also my friends and say like, hey, I've got this job. I was thinking of pricing this. What do you think? And because of that attitude, we're able to sort of survive and make sure that we actually charge respectable rates and that young people who come in will, on one side, not undercut the professionals, but on the other side, they'll actually make some good money because like, I want them to make money. I want any and all of us to succeed. So it's, it's better for me if you charge good prices. It's better for you if you do as well. Yeah, so actually it's better to embrace the competition. Absolutely. And then that ends up having different great feedback loops in other ways that I've received and given photo shoots that I couldn't do to peers and competitors as well. It also is just nice that you're not feeling like you can't talk to a person. They experience all of the same stuff that you do. They have all of these really ridiculous experiences and it's nice to have a sense of community around that. So what's it look like for you when it comes to work? Do you wait for people to come to you and you sort of, I don't know, you have like job after job after job or are you pitching to people ideas of things? Uh, Yeah, how does it work for you? It's a mixed bag. I have some uh, repeat clients. I have some clients who I'm also sort of sponsored by, so different ski or clothing manufacturers. Um, And that I end up with a bit of loyalty from the people who work there. And then I do a lot of pitching. Um, I find that most of the work that I really enjoy is something where I create a concept, uh, dream something up, tell them what that thing is that I want to do or that I think is going to be interesting. And then I am able to go out and shoot it or produce it. So that might be a photography project. That might be a video project with photography. But I'm coming up with these concepts to uh, try to execute. What that looks like is often, um, well, the people who work in marketing departments are often so close to their own wall that they're managing all of these different aspects of their marketing they're not sitting down for a moment and just having sort of blue sky ideas of like, what's possible? What what could be attached to our brand? And when you walk in the door and give them great ideas, then all of a sudden you solve problems for them that they didn't know that they had, that they're all of a sudden they're like, oh, this is such an interesting idea that we don't even have to do a big ad buy. People will inherently want to see this on social media. And those kinds of solutions for a brand are very valuable. And then that's sort of what gets me through the door to shoot photographs. So is that constantly kind of pushing what you want to do and thinking about how you might be able to help people? Mm -hmm. Yeah, just trying to offer value. I like if you walk in the door as an action sport photographer and you say, hey, I want to do the same stuff that you've already done, but I'm a different guy who does it. (laughs) And 
I also want to get paid a thousand dollars a day or more than that is like a normal photographer rate. And like, if you walk in the door just with your hands cupped saying like, can I have a whole bunch of money from you? Like, that's not going to work. You, you have to walk in the door saying like, what can I do that if I turn up and I get paid this much that you guys get so much value that that looks like a deal. That's a huge aspect of what I'm trying to offer when I contact you. Mm. You mentioned film. So was that something you did at first, like video, film, as well as photography? Or was that something where you spotted a need? So I, I've done a little bit of film, um, a little bit with a camera in my hand, but not so much of that. And I'm trying to branch into it because a lot of my concepts end up needing to be executed in motion. That's the kind of stuff that gets absorbed more. Um, people are looking at that kind of product more. And because you get to hold an audience longer, brands are interested in it because there's uh, they get to contact a consumer for more than two seconds on Instagram. They get to contact them for one minute or two minutes, depending how long the video is. And the concepts that I like to dream up might actually have quite a bit of thought behind them, and it's hard to get that across in a single photograph. So video is starting to become a larger part of what I'm pitching and what I'm trying to create, and sometimes I'll have a cinematographer doing the actual filming while I'm directing the piece. Uh, cool. So I was going to ask if you collaborate with, with others or you're a sort of lone wolf in the mountains there. So how often do you have people that you work with and are you hiring them directly? Or Well, I have tried many different formats of it and I've tried just stitching together different freelancers and unfortunately businesses don't really seem to want to buy that as a product they would rather go to a production company to make film because it's simple they know how they operate and they know that everyone's qualified so after a different project that i did with two friends last year i started a production company with them so now i'm uh, one of three people of sky island pictures and we're pitching together to try to get video concept work so the most recent one was a two-minute tourism video that we've created cool so in a way it's kind of the same setup as in you've got maybe three specialized freelancers coming together and working together but in the mind of the client it feels different because you're presenting yourself differently yeah i think so i think it it feels like you're buying a better quality product if you're going to a specific production company rather than just saying like oh i know bob over there and like I know Sally and the three of us can probably make this for you, but we have conflicting schedules and we don't know what's going to happen. And then you just, it just doesn't feel as dialed. So I think that's probably part of why some of the concept pitching that I've done before has sort of fallen flat because I didn't have a specific avenue to say, we can pull this off and a specific portfolio to say, this is what we've done. How have you found working in that way with those people? Has it all been plain sailing or any challenges? It's been challenging for for sure. Um, I always used to wonder why everyone's called business so hard amongst friends, but I think that it's dependent on whether or not you're actually part of the same business. Um, if you're all freelancers turning up, everyone has very defined roles and no one has to work together on marketing. No one has to work together on the corporate bookkeeping together, where then if you have it in one spot, you can have blurred expectations and slightly different trajectories and if your trajectories are a little bit different that can end up with a little bit of rub because yeah 
freelancers and creatives are really passionate about where they want to go. So it's been a great learning experience because of that, um, but interesting and different. Is the work you do very seasonal? I'm I'm just thinking of snow, but mm-hmm. that, may, that may just be my experience. Maybe there's bits of Canada where it's there all the time. Yeah, so far we've heard a lot of the word skiing, so I'm imagining it's seasonal. It's incredibly seasonal. And then even within the ski season, there's very particular timing of how it can work because the busiest part of the season is Christmas and that's also during the time when they're actually selling seasons passes and figuring out did we make are we going to make money this year or not and how did our marketing from last year work so no one in a marketing department sits down to really think about it until January and then you're already about a third of the way through the snow season then you negotiate ideas concepts And then everyone wants February and March. So there's sort of two months where you're trying to stack up like most of your production. And then April is questionable or some resorts are closed. But then or that's when you go into the really, really big mountain terrain that is normally too dangerous. So it's it's incredibly seasonal and it's constantly difficult. And like this year with COVID-19, the ski hills across North America just closed. So I have two standing contracts that we're sort of like looking at wondering what do we just let it go like um is this gone or do we try to produce in the backcountry and is that ethical like if if we bring an athlete out into the backcountry and they break their leg that's normally a really really bad thing but it's a risk that we accept but overburdening the healthcare system right now is uh, a pretty terrible thing to be doing so we might just not be able to shoot for this whole company in general, how have you managed your business to cope with that seasonality? How do you manage your year? Yeah, I'm doing a lot more than just skiing. Skiing is just primarily the work that I'm known for. So um, at different times of the year, I'm shooting mountain biking. I'm shooting just sort of normal tourism stuff, like people drinking white wine at sunset. Um, <laughs> but as far as like the passionate work or the work that I'm um, known for that stuff's all skiing as far as managing the cyclical nature of it honestly it's just trying to continue cram as much work in as possible most of the time and trying to stay frugal in your mindset because you don't know how long you're gonna go hungry and dry for so if you can sort of minimize your financial outflow and that seems to be, for me, the best way to just manage the roller coaster of finance in the freelance world. Um, because if you look at a large check as a large opportunity to go live large, you're going to find rock bottom really quickly and also just live with a lot of stress. I know other people will use a line of credit to be able to float that, and there's just different styles for that. But I've just tried to stay away from debt. And right now, with things looking like I might not get work for three months or six months. Now that is looking a little bit stressful. Mm. Have you come up with a system of like asking, like, do you get paid stuff up front before you do a work? I imagine there's a lot of expenses, traveling expenses in a job. How how have you figured out how best to deal with that with clients? Or is there just an (laughs) industry-wide accepted way of working? Um, It. If you're working on a large job that's over, say, $10,000 of expenses and fees, you might get a deposit on the shoot. 
before that and under that, it's very unlikely. And then the ski world is also sort of notoriously bad for cash flow. The payment date on your invoice is borderline irrelevant. Some places are going to pay in five days. Some people might be paying you in five months. And that's a really hard thing to manage. And I know that that's the specific reason that a lot of people have actually just left the ski world. They're just like, nobody cares about my work and they don't respect anyone. They don't respect workers. But the nature of their business being snow, being seasonal, their cash flow is really messed up too. So I've tried to be able to avoid being the invoice hunter as well. And that's ended up being able to help maintain some of these relationships. And if my expectation is that this invoice is going to be 90 days, and that's just how it works. But um, you just have to sort of accept it as the rules of engagement before you get into the ski world, I guess. Mm. You obviously do a lot of client work. And some of that is, is you suggesting particular styles to people. But do you do any of your own work? As, like, do you have a revenue stream which is based around your your work rather than needing to be paid by a client, if you see what I mean? Uh, so selling prints and products to consumers directly? Mm. Um, I do a little bit of that. Uh, so I do get some people contacting me to just buy some prints of some of the different projects that I've worked on, but there's not too much of that. The most recent time that I did that was this, this Nebula project where um, I tried to basically take a picture that looks like it's from the Hubble telescope and then fit a skier into it. And the movie around that ended up generating some buzz. So people will end up contacting me every once in a while hunting for a print. So is the movie all about trying to capture one specific, very hard to get photo? Exactly. Yeah. It's, it's mostly me being extremely stressed out trying to uh, shoot a single photo. It's a, it's a bit of a comedy I didn't mean for it to be a comedy in any way. And during the Primera, people were laughing really hard. I was like, yeah, I guess this is actually very funny watching me just like run around stressed out at night. So this was a different side of passion, creativity, and also a little hint of marketing was trying to create specific images that would sort of break out of the form where you're just feeding Instagram, where I think a lot of people are looking to try to consistently feed Instagram every day, but that means they need 100 or 200 photos a year that they need to put into that thing and producing that much content to just throw into Instagram, which may or may not be a revenue stream is really hard. So I started thinking about what what could you do with ski photography that's going to hold attention and be interesting outside of the internet formats and what actually draws some eyes and what, what can people engage with. So this Nebula one was the third of three the first one was northern lights and skiing. The second one was a solar eclipse and skiing. And that one got uh, funded by in a movie created by Solomon Ski Brand. And then this last one, Nebula, uh, was self-created. And that's the one that started that production company that I have with uh, two friends of mine. And that last one, uh, I wanted to make the movie partially because I knew that the photograph would probably just look like Photoshop to most people without being able to see the backstory. So they're sort of the photograph needed the movie and the movie needs the photograph. So they sort of had to be a two piece package. That is so cool. As, as you say, mm-hmm. as a, a form of marketing in itself, as well as just something creatively to enjoy. Do, and is, is it available to buy? Yeah. 
You can find Nebula on Amazon Prime and iTunes and at nebula-film.com or through my website, rubenkraba.com. Can't wait to see that. Clearly you're doing something you love, but how how do you feel like your work-life balance is? Um, it uh, I think it just really switches around from sometimes when you're very busy, you just go with it because you know that the, the slow times happen. Um, but then also sometimes during the slow times, if you're a little bit hungry, you don't know that you should just actually be taking a break. It's honestly hard. And this last year has actually been sort of one where I worked more than ever. I was just pitching and pitching and pitching and nothing was getting through. So that made me just want to work harder. And uh, as a result, I didn't actually take very much personal time. Um, it's honestly incredibly hard to do. And the only thing I'm starting to try to think of now is like, I need to start flipping my priorities here and actually just prioritize putting in rest, putting in time with friends and putting in recreation without a camera bag. And then I know that photography will fill every waking moment around that if I allow it to anyways. Now, I always do this thing where I ask for three facts about yourself to make two true and one a lie and let me figure out the lie. What do you have for me, Ruben? All right. I once starred in a play, Alibaba and the 40 Thieves, in England. My last full-time job was as a security guard in a Louis Vuitton store. And I almost choked to death on peanut butter on the main street of a Mormon town in Utah. <laughs> Sorry, I don't mean to laugh about you nearly dying. Um, I just loved the additional detail that just kept on coming. <laughs> In <laughs> Street in Utah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, wow. You were in Alibaba, so you were in a play, but it was in England. Yeah. It was uh, in Lakes District up north. This is a school play when I'm 10 years old. Did you grow up in the Lake District? Or like, was it one that's such, such an amazing performance that they thought, hang on, the world <laughs> needs to see this. We're no, going no, on no. tour. No, this is a 10-year-old bad school play. Um I lived in England for one year when I was 10 years old. My family just switched lives for a little bit there and moved over and then came back to Canada. Okay, all right. That mm-hmm. feels like that might be true. Can you remember what your costume was in Alibaba? Uh, I had one of those uh, red felt hats and uh, <laughs> I was a little bit chubby and I was wearing a vest that was threatening to break open. <laughs> <laughs> um. Uh, you were a security guard at Louis Vuitton. Where? So this was in Calgary, just after I came back from photography school in the, uh, it was 2008, and the economy had tanked. And I had also blown up my knee on a ski hill. So all of my job history was teaching mountain biking and doing like manual labor on a work site. So when it was really hard to find a job, then it was also really hard to find any job that i had skill for so i ended up taking what i could and that ended up with me as a security guard and you nearly choked on peanut butter so was it crunchy peanut butter Mm -hmm. the lumpy one yeah i'm road tripping to go down to one of the big mountain bike events and all i'm eating is like crackers and tuna and peanut butter and jam sandwiches and then (laughs) I like ran out of bread or something like that. So I'm just like sitting there eating peanut butter, but you can't eat peanut butter. So like, it's so dry somehow that you ends up coating my throat and I end up like spilling out of the side of my truck coughing in front of all of these like 
immaculately dressed people. This town is also like, if you imagine the like stereotypical scene from a Hollywood movie about high school um, in the U.S., where there's like people driving around in a convertible uh, with the cheerleaders on the back bench, that like literally is happening as I'm choking. There's like a convertible <laughs> driving down this like main street because, uh, yeah. Anyways, just a very very strange scene. Okay, all of these feel so true. Maybe you're just an absolute poet because the fez with the the vest fit for bursting as a 10-year-old feels true. Security guard. For, uh, this rarely happens that I can't even remotely sniff out the lie. Um, okay, I, do you know what? I'm going to say peanut butter is the lie. In fact, actually, I bet where that came from is that you can't stand peanut butter. Maybe you're allergic to peanuts. I I'm saying that one is the lie. No, I, I still thoroughly enjoy peanut butter, even though it threatened my life. Um, the second one is a lie. It wasn't a Louis Vuitton store. It was just a department store. So, Oh, come on. <laughs> you got me on a technicality. Um, okay. Uh, if you could tell your younger self one thing about being freelance, what would that be? Uh, you can't escape cliche. Um, or you can't, you can't escape being and experiencing all of the things that people sort of tell you. I, I find it funny just growing older and, and seeing this a lot of different places right now, how um, people warn you, it's like, oh, it's better to go to business school than it is to go to photography school. And you're like, everyone tells you this, and then you go to photography school, and you're like, oh, I definitely need some business education. And now looking back, I'm like, oh, yeah, I could be, I could be a very bad photographer, but if I was good at business, that would be fine. Um, <laughs> and then... Just uh, seeing, like, uh, I turned 30 this year, and it's, like, the f first half of your 30s is when most ski photographers leave the industry and they go elsewhere and shoot other things. And I don't think I'm going to leave skiing, but I can see that I'm actually, right now, intentionally branching out and moving around just because I'm growing tired of standing around in dangerous avalanche terrain all of the time. So if you... To my younger self, like I used to always be like, oh, no, I'm going to do this for my entire life, and I'm just going to go to photography school, and I'm going to be so good at this that people, it doesn't matter if I'm bad at business, I'm going to be good enough at photography. And now all of those things are starting to ring true. And uh, this, I think, just a little bit of good wisdom to be carrying forward into different aspects of life as well. So right now, it's interesting. It sounds like you're planning for your future, but are you just doing it in a gradual way or are you doing it in quite an intentional way? I'd like to be intentional about where I'm going and how I'm spending my life. So there's intentional progression and branching out. And I think that I've been quite lucky that occasionally I've had a season where I traveled a bunch in the snow back home was really bad and then the next year I got all of my work back home and the snow was good and I could have been on either side of those and accidentally have booked it wrong and that might have been in the end of my ski career so trying to diversify is both like a business strategy and also just an experience strategy I want to do different things I want to keep trying I want to keep sucking at things because I want to keep learning so I, I am looking to different experiences and trying to figure out what those might be. Ruben has been so 
great to talk to you. Thank you so much uh, for taking time out. Go to beingfreelance.com. There'll be a link through so that you can check out Ruben's work. Go see the Nebula film as well. And of course, while you're there, take a look at all the other episodes, over 200. Make sure you've hit subscribe. If you've enjoyed this, maybe review it, maybe share it with others. And if you're a freelancing parent, check out the other podcast that I do. It's called Doing It For The Kids. And come find us in the community, beingfreelance.com. Click through to the community and his freelancers from all around the world there as well but for now Ruben thank you so much and all the best being freelance I thank you very much Steve all the best to you too